You're listening to Across the Table, a healthcare private equity podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods. Across the Table brings you inside the conversation with the specialists and professionals of the healthcare private equity industry. Hello, welcome to the McGuire Woods Across the Table podcast series. We're excited today to kick off with our first guest, Mark Friedlander, a partner in the McGuire Woods Pittsburgh office. Uh, Mark is a corporate attorney who focuses on companies in financial distress and financially distressed investing. Your hosts are Jeff Cockrell and Holly Buckley with McGuire Woods. Jeff Cockrell is the head of our private equity industry team, and I'm co-chair of our healthcare and life sciences industry team. So without further ado, I'm going to turn over to Jeff and we'll kick off the conversation. Great. Thank you, Holly. In the current environment, many of our clients and their portfolio companies are themselves experiencing distress that they're trying to navigate in this rapidly evolving climate. One side effect of that is that there will be many other companies that, on account of this distress, are going to find themselves needing to be a seller. And the opportunity to acquire those companies that are in distress is something that many private equity funds and platforms are thinking about right now and need to navigate some of the elements of acquiring a company in distress, which can have procedural and other components to it that are a bit more complicated than a traditional acquisition. And the folks that will be thinking about this are not all distressed buyers, uh, meaning buyers that regularly acquire companies in distress, many buyers that are not in distress can be looking at these opportunities as well. And we thought it'd be helpful to get some perspective from our colleague, Mark, on what some of the dynamics procedurally look like in this sort of transaction. Mark, can you maybe set the table of what a distressed transaction actually is and what some of the, the procedural elements might look like? Sure, thank you, Jeff. I think to set context, there are varying degrees of financial distress, and likewise, every potential target has different types of issues that they face. And given the nature and extent of distress, the industry that a target is in, and likewise, the exact issues that they face, those types of matters will dictate the nature of a distress transaction. And what I mean by that is sometimes an acquisition of a distressed company can occur without any type of formal court proceeding. In other instances, more formal proceedings are necessitated in order to undertake the transaction. That can be in the form of a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. It could potentially be in the form of a receivership or an assignment for the benefit of creditors, each of which has different characteristics, benefits, as well as potential cons as well. And well beyond the scope of this discussion, the details of the target and what they face, and likewise, exactly what potential purchaser seeks to accomplish, all play into the nature of the underlying transaction itself. So, Mark, it's, it sounds like there's a fair amount of process that can occur here. Is this going to really extend the timeline of a transaction? And if so, uh, to what degree? Sure. So. And again, the timeline will largely depend upon the nature of the process. So obviously, in an out-of-court transaction, the timeline likely would be expedited by the liquidity circumstances of the target, but otherwise there aren't any formal timelines for the most part that would occur. In a Chapter 11 bankruptcy, by way of example, 
the timeline can be expedited and many bankruptcy courts are very accustomed to expedited timelines, but the timeline nevertheless will be necessitated by procedures approved by the court so that certain benchmarks within a transaction will be established by a court. That transaction could go as quickly as 20 days to as long as a couple months, depending upon the individual facts and circumstances. Importantly in bankruptcy, court approval is necessary for a transaction to move forward. That holds true as well in a receivership. For an assignment for the benefit of creditors, the timeline can be much more expedited and formal court approval is not necessarily required. Can we delve in a little, Mark, to the out-of-court distress transaction? Uh, what specifically sure. does that look like? Is that a specific legal process or is that more of just a characteristic no. of the target? It is a characteristic of the target. It is not a formal process. In almost all instances when an out-of-court transaction with a distressed company occurs, it is an asset purchase transaction as opposed to a stock purchase transaction, primarily because with a stock purchase transaction, there may be liabilities that a purchaser is not prepared to, to take on. So an asset purchase transaction is necessitated in order to protect the purchaser from the liabilities of the target. Mark, what, what sort of diligence should a buyer of a distressed company be thinking about and looking at that might be different from a traditional asset acquisition? You know, diligence is exceptionally important. And the competing interests are that most distressed transactions, because of liquidity constraints, need to occur on a fairly rapid basis. But a, a purchaser's diligence is exceptionally important in a distressed transaction for a couple different reasons. Number one, reps and warranties generally do not survive closing in distressed transactions. And likewise, more often than not, indemnities or holdbacks or any other types of protections for a purchaser are frowned upon or simply not possible in a distressed transaction. So it really is a buyer beware type of transaction where a purchaser doesn't typically have the ability to look to the, per to the seller nor any type of other traditional protections in a transaction. So obviously those types of issues and lack of protection for a purchaser necessitates upfront diligence that's thorough and complete. And do you see different types of diligence conducted for distress transactions or just a much more or kind of very thorough version of traditional diligence. So for example, would buyers typically bring in additional types of consultants to study the target or, or is it just much more of a rigorous process but not deviating too far from, from the normal? Well, a lot of that will also depend upon the actual construct of the transaction. So just by way of example, in a bankruptcy acquisition, where you, a buyer has the benefit of a court order that protects them, and likewise they don't have the risks of potential fraudulent conveyance exposure for the underlying acquisition, that eliminates a variety of types of diligence that would otherwise be necessary. On the other end of the scale, in an out-of-court transaction where a buyer doesn't receive the protections that I've just mentioned, there are various types of diligence which would be necessitated in an out-of-court transaction as opposed to what would be required in an in-court transaction. And likewise, the type of the buyer 
also is important in terms of timing. Many of the private equity funds that I deal with and our group deals with in terms of distressed transactions nevertheless require extensive diligence and quality of earnings and the like in order to meet the requirements of their investment committees before moving forward with transactions. Mark, in the context of a healthcare transaction, especially with a company that is being reimbursed by the federal government, one of the concerns that a buyer has is finding themselves as a successor to a liability owed to the federal government. The reach of the government to come after historical sins can be quite long. How do you think that plays into the thought process around an out-of-court versus a more formal uh, bankruptcy process? So regulators in healthcare transactions, even distressed healthcare transactions, are a very important component of the underlying transaction. And there are times where regulators will agree by way of example that provider numbers can be acquired by a purchaser in a distressed healthcare transaction, and the government will agree that it will not pursue any reimbursement claims that it may otherwise have. Likewise, most bankruptcy court orders in the context of a bankruptcy sale will provide protections of that nature. There are times, however, where the government will fight those types of protections, or in unique circumstances, there are risks that the court order itself won't necessarily protect the purchaser to the nature and extent possible. So I would strongly encourage buyers of healthcare providers to actively involve the regulators and negotiations as early and regularly as possible in an effort to negotiate resolution of government claims. The bankruptcy process itself is an expedited process most often, and more often than not, government authorities understand that timeline and are prepared to act within it. I expect, however, in the current environment that the government representatives are really going to be constrained in terms of their resources and negotiating in this manner with them, I expect to prove somewhat challenging going forward, at least in the short run. How are buyers identifying good distressed transaction targets? Are these deals ever or often banked? Is this a word of mouth or a deal sourcing pipeline? How do they, how do they figure out what's out there? So in large part, investment bankers are retained by distressed companies, and those investment bankers will, just like they do in non-distressed transactions, go out to market and endeavor to market the company to the greatest extent possible to likely purchasers. Sometimes because in distressed transactions, the process is expedited, folks are missed, and likewise, the targets targets, when I say targets, I mean the potential purchasers are more limited because investment bankers will go to those parties that are most often involved in distressed transactions. So if it's missed by investment bankers, there likewise are a variety of financial consultants who are very actively involved in the distressed markets. Those consultants are an excellent source of information about potential transactions. And I would also note that all bankruptcies are a matter of public record. Uh, one of the things that, that we do as a restructuring group is pay close attention to bankruptcy filings in an effort to match prospective purchasers 
with companies that subject themselves to bankruptcy protection. Mark, what advice would you give to a potential buyer who is not accustomed to uh, making investments to acquire distressed assets? Do you have any cautionary tales or points of reference that they should think about? Sure, a few things. Number one, simply because an asset or an operation looks and smells like a good deal because it's cheap, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good deal. I would strongly encourage for those that are not accustomed to distressed transactions that they consider involving a financial advisor that does have experience in evaluating distressed companies so that more quickly than not, folks can get to the bottom of what a company's issues are and how they can be solved. The other thing that I would note is almost every company in financial distress has been capital starved. So the expectation of any purchaser should be that a capital investment will be necessary sooner rather than later into the company in order to make it stronger almost out of the gate. The other thing that I would note is that almost every company in financial distress has earned the right to be in financial distress. And a good hard look needs to be taken by a purchaser about the underlying reasons why a company is distressed. So simply suggesting that the coronavirus has forced a company to, to really find itself in a position where the economics of the business aren't as good as what they once were isn't really sufficient excuse in my view. More often than not, there are other underlying problems and coronavirus by way of example only expedited a company's reaching the cliff in terms of its financial circumstances. So really and truly understanding the reasons why a company is financially distressed and likewise understanding what it's going to take to fix it are just mission critical for a prospective purchaser. Mark, I think that's great advice. And I, I think it would be helpful for our audience to hear maybe from you some of your observations in terms of healthcare-specific transactions where have you seen some of those specific issues in terms of how they've got themselves into a financially distressed situation? Uh, can you maybe give us some thoughts there? Sure. I think a major consideration in terms of healthcare is how the healthcare world works today. And for years and years, looking at gross revenue and looking at patient census and things of that nature were just viewed as key drivers, and that is really no longer the case. Instead, in, in healthcare, I think the primary focus is looking at profit centers. And simply because the capacity exists and great machinery and equipment exists, it may not matter at all. What matters more than anything else in the healthcare space is again, without being overly repetitive, being able to identify where profit centers exist as opposed to simply acquiring the broadest type of practice. The other thing that I view as very important in the healthcare space is a review of contracts because healthcare providers in this day and age are really nothing more than a group of contracts. Either physician or practice group contracts are very, very important. Likewise, provider agreements are essential and the leases and other agreements that a healthcare provider has really form the basis of its economics. And reviewing those and understanding those and appreciating what can or can't be done 
in the context by way of example of a bankruptcy, how contracts can be altered, if at all, all play into very important components of healthcare transactions in the distressed world. I would also add that in a regular transaction, it's always a concern uh, when you're investing in a provider company that you have the providers themselves connected to the business going forward. And often the cash purchase price is the mechanism through which you obtain covenants like a longer-term contract or a covenant not to compete that binds those providers to the business going forward. In a distressed situation where more of the funds may be going to creditors or just a lot less going to the provider owners, care should be given to making sure that those providers themselves, if that's really what you're acquiring, that they will be sufficiently connected to the business going forward. Jeff, I, I would just add to that, and Holly asked a moment or two ago about whether there are pitfalls or I've seen issues. One of the common mistakes that folks make in terms of distress acquisitions is not sufficiently locking up the physician groups and reaching agreements with them to allow for a viable practice going forward, and likewise not sufficiently diligencing the physician practices themselves. By way of example, and I've seen this occur on multiple occasions, a, a practice group may be led by a physician that's getting up there in years. They control the practice group. They control the patient flow. A distress transaction occurs, and that particular physician decides that this is not something that they want to continue with and leaves. And a, a business that was viewed as potentially viable almost overnight goes away because it's very difficult to replace what that experienced physician brought to the table. It also gives uh, an opportunity for companies that have more defined and elaborate provider alignment mechanisms through compensation or ownership uh, in the company in general to really bring that alignment through your own structure, not necessarily through purchase price. So while obtaining that alignment going forward without a hefty purchase price going to sellers can be a bit more difficult, there are mechanisms that uh, in particular uh, healthcare provider buyers can look to employ. Great. And, and Mark, let me ask you, if anyone wants to reach you to ask you questions, pick your brain about, about distressed investing, how, what's the best way to get hold of you? Um, I am readily available by email, by cell phone, by office line. All the above are the best ways in which I can be reached. Wonderful. Um, well, thank you so much to Mark for, for joining us on our podcast. Uh, you can always reach uh, Jeff and I, hbuckley at mcguirewoods.com and ccarkrell at mcguirewoods.com. Thanks for listening, and, and please let us know if we can help. We appreciate you joining us on this episode of Across the Table. To learn more about today's discussion or to contact us, please visit our website at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This podcast was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in the podcast. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. 
This podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action.